I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINnetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics podcast. I'm Emma Kami, and I'm here today with RAIN's Global Economy Analyst, Marcus Yeager. Welcome, Marcus. Hi, Emma. Nice to be here. Nice to talk to you. Uh, so the Financial Times just ran a story commending Latin American economies for preemptively increasing interest rates, even before the Federal Reserve and the European Central Bank, and taking a fairly upbeat view of the regional outlook, broadly speaking. Before we discuss the question of why countries like Brazil and Mexico managed to cope with the COVID crisis and maintain economic stability, it might be helpful to put the Brazil and Mexico stories in their broader historical context. Um, how does their recent performance compare to their historical performance? Um, I think, I think quite frankly, there's not much change. I, I've been running the numbers um, and I've been looking at both countries for, for a long time analytically. And uh, the performance is pretty much in line with the historical averages to the extent that it's almost spooky. So if you if you take out the COVID crisis, where for obvious reasons we had a lot of volatility, the economy or both economies went into a very sharp recession, and then they rebounded quite sharply in 2021. And so now we are sort of converging to their long-term economic growth rate. But if you take a longer-term perspective, you look at like 10 years, 20 years then the performance that we've seen through the crisis when you're averaging out growth rates is almost exactly the same as it has been, whether you take the past 10 years, 20 years, or in some cases, even 30 years. So put a number to this, um, Brazil's economic growth was about less than 2% if you take these averages. And the same is true for Mexico. And so in that sense, I think what the Financial Times was suggesting, I think they were perhaps more, um, more honing in on the fact that I think both countries have done a great job in managing macroeconomic volatility, but the economic growth rate really is pretty much in line with what we have seen over the past two, three, or even four decades. That makes a lot of sense. Um, can you put the two countries' kind of economic performance in its broader historical context to help us predict their future performance? Yes, absolutely. So um, it's very interesting because in many ways, there are many parallels, and that's not necessarily owed to the fact that they're both located in Latin America, because even though they are located in Latin America, they have quite different economic structures. And I'll say a word about this in a minute. Of course, obviously, Mexico is much closer to the United States. Brazil is sort of further further away geographically, and this also has economic consequences. But I think the broader circle perspective here really is, is twofold. Um, and it depends on really how far you want to go back. But I'll just go back to the 1970s and 1980s. So both countries, like a lot of developing economies at the time, were borrowing quite heavily from international banks. And so they, they ran up a lot of debt to finance the economic growth and the industrialization, which Brazil started in the 50s and 60s, Mexico around the same time. And in some way, they were quite successful in terms of pushing up per capita income and, and generating acceptable economic growth rates. But then really in the 19, early 1980s, with the, uh, the what's called the developing economy debt crisis, both countries literally blew up in financial terms. And they went through a decade of really very low growth 
um, even negative productivity growth. Headline growth was sort of barely above zero. And um, that's also known in the region as the lost decade, where a large part of the middle class was, was really wiped out. But then both countries in the uh, 1980s and throughout the sort of first half of the 1990s, Mexico was a little earlier than Brazil, they started restructuring their external debt. They came to an agreement with their creditors and they started to implement significant structural economic reforms because especially Brazil, but also Mexico, they came out of this phase where they were very protectionist in terms of their policies. And uh, the 1980s and 1990s, we saw this push, which was also called the Washington Consensus towards greater market orientation and greater economic openness. So during this period, late 1980s, early 1990s, both countries reformed the economies quite significantly. Um, and then subsequently, in all fairness, leaving, leaving aside the crisis in Mexico in the mid-1990s and a couple of uh, crises in Brazil throughout the late 1990s, which were related to the Asian crisis and the Argentina and Russia crisis, um, they, they managed to avoid future, future financial volatility. Um, but interestingly, and this goes back to my earlier point, the economic growth rate more generally, it, it did pick up for a while, but then, then sort of slowed down again. And I think what's really important to understand is even though both economies perform very similarly, this performance is really pretty uh, modest compared to what you saw in other parts of the world, like in Asia. So, but I think the sort of concept here clearly is both countries went through crisis, through economic reform, uh, slightly delayed in Brazil maybe, and then they were, they've become more stable financially, but economically they never really took off over a longer period of time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, Brazil's president, Lula da Silva, expressed some hesitancy about uh, the preemptive increase of the interest rates. Can you speak to that a little bit uh, and how maybe Brazil's uh, history economically has been shaped by its politics? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Lula is very interesting. When he, um, I'm, I'm going back 20 years when he, when he came to power first, he, um, he certainly didn't like high interest rates at the time few politicians actually do. And the fact that he's sort of sort of harking on about this again is I, I think is owed to the political situation. That the the um the key thing to understand is and that's part of something we should touch on as well, is that Brazil recently made its central bank even more independent than it was before. And the fact that the Financial Times was able to run that story, in essence, commending both Mexico and Brazil on their successful monetary policies, successful in terms of, in terms of stepping in and preventing inflation from spiraling out of control, is, is really owed to the fact that the central bank is much more independent now and there's much greater support for, for low inflation in countries like Brazil. But of course, a president, a head of government typically will always target the central bank saying if they only lowered rates, we'd have more economic growth and lower unemployment. This is a little more common in emerging markets, but this is something you really see around the world. So in that sense, Lula coming into power, doing that is not really all that all that surprising. And, you know, in all fairness, Brazil is not really doing that well. The economy, as I said, sort of rebounded in 2021. Now we're seeing the sort of gentle decline towards its long-term economic growth rate. But uh, unemployment is still an issue, high inflation is an issue, and he was elected on a left-wing platform. So it makes complete sense for him to be quite critical of the central bank, which 
from a market perspective, really did a fabulous job in terms of raising rates and containing inflation. And I think we will see over the next um, few quarters and couple of years that inflation will come down and inflation will be at a much, much lower level even than it was before. And I think a large part, uh, this is sort of owed um, to the central bank. That makes a lot of sense as well. Um, there's been some speculation that Brazil may be acting too quickly in cutting rates. Uh, in the long term, you expressed that you think inflation will go down. But in the short term, do you think inflation will go up as a result of cutting rates? And do you think that this is a good thing and a normal thing in the short term? Or is this a sign that Brazil may be acting too quickly? Um, you know, there's always uncertainty involved when it comes to setting policies. So I don't think this is this is something that is uh, the best judgment of the central bank is to say, and they did cut rates, we have some some room to cut rates. And, you know, they cut rates by, I think, 50 basis points, I'm not entirely mistaken, and they're still above 13%. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect this to have a massive impact. What matters much more is whether or not the central bank is seen as cutting rates in response to political pressure, which I don't think was the case here, or whether they're seen as cutting rates as a, as a, as a consequence of their own analysis uh, as to where the inflation is going to go. And of course, there's huge uncertainties involved. I mean, if you if you're, have high-ish inflation, then there could be another shock coming. You know, the Fed might decide to start raising rates again. Maybe the Brazilian currency will depreciate. You will have more inflation. There's all kinds of uncertainties that attach to this outlook. But um, in, in my judgment, I, I don't think so. It, it it might turn out that this was premature, but I don't think it was premature in the sense that it was a response to political pressure. So the future will tell. And, you know, just as an aside, we're making it seem as if Brazil is such an outlier. But you look at the United States, for example, the Federal Reserve also finds it very difficult to set interest rates. You know, are they going to continue raising rates? Uh, will they stop? A lot of this is really dependent on the incoming data. So I think the Brazilian central bank, particularly in its current leadership, is doing a fairly good job in terms of containing inflation. Um, last but not least, uh, what factors will drive Mexican and Brazilian economic growth in the next 12 months? And do you foresee any broader economic, financial, or political instability? And the Financial Times article touched on uh, Chile's efforts to um, uh, deal with inflation. Uh, can you speak on that as well? Yeah, sure. So first on on uh, on Brazil and Mexico. So as I said, all other things equal in in sort of a relatively smooth global economic scenario where we see U.S. growth come down gently, Europe sort of being borderline stagnation, but no major shocks to the system where U.S. interest rates are have already peaked or are peaking, where the ECB will also come to, to a halt when it comes to interest rate hikes. I think in that scenario, we'll also see a further slowdown in both Brazil and Mexico to like below 2%. Uh, there's always, I guess, at 1.5%, is it 1%? But I think what we'll see is sort of a, a, a decline towards, towards potential. And remember, this comes on the back of the 2021 rebound, an okayish momentum in 2022, and now we're just seeing this general deceleration of economic growth not just in Latin America, Brazil and Mexico, but also really globally, just look to China. So uh, I think this is, is sort of the baseline. In the very short run over the next couple of quarters, as I said, what will be key is the outlook for the US economy. Will we see a hard landing? Will we see a soft landing? Will we see 
a, a dramatic recession. Difficult to say. My money is more like on a on a on a, on a soft landing for now, but that can change. So I think in that scenario and the scenario where interest rates peak, we will see this continued decline. And I think going then into next year with the central bank rate cuts, there could be a more favorable momentum to, to the economy. But um, what I would also say here, the difference between the two economies is that Mexico is very much dependent on the US. So whatever happens in the US immediately impacts uh, growth in, in, in Mexico. Brazil is much, much more dependent on on Chinese economic growth, in particular on commodity prices. So you have a couple of other variables there that play into it. But unless you get sort of major changes or unanticipated changes over the next couple of quarters, I think we are in a scenario where we'll see a continued slowdown, not a recession, but sort of a gentle decline towards towards uh, the long-term growth rate, which, by the way, in both countries is below 2%, which is, is fairly modest. Um, and on the, uh, on the Chile question, um, Chile is the same thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Chile is sort of the poster boy or has been for a long time in Latin America. It has had fairly stable institutions. The Chicago boys, when they came in to reform the economy in the 1980s, they did a good job as far as, as creating solid institutions are concerned. Fiscal policy and all that is fairly under control. The central bank is independent. What's very interesting, though, is that... Uh, the entire region, and quite frankly, the entire world suffered a huge shock, of course, post-COVID in terms of inflation. And Chile was no different. And Chile just had very, a very independent central bank, and they massively increased infl- interest rates. Yet inflation didn't respond initially. So I think Chile, to me and to my mind, is just another example of how difficult it is for central bankers, whether they whether they sit in countries like Chile, which for intents and purposes is a, is a developed is a developed country or an advanced economy in institutional terms, or whether you sit in Mexico, which is more like an emerging market, or you sit in Washington D.C. There are a lot of uncertainties right now economically, and it goes back to the question you asked earlier that there's a lot of uncertainty attached to the economic inflation outlook, and in that scenario, it's always very difficult to take the right decisions. But what's very important, I think, is that markets recognize the independence of central banks. And as long as they believe that the central bank will do what's necessary to bring inflation under control, ultimately, this is more likely to succeed because markets, in a sense, have confidence in the central bank that they that they will bring inflation down. And I think um, this, this you're going to see the same, the same scenario in many of those countries, Chile, Brazil, and Mexico, in our baseline scenario, and in the United States, we'll see inflation decline over time. So inflation is not going to fall to the target, most likely, in the next 12 months. It's going to be a more gentle decline. But I think all these economies are moving that way, barring further exogenous shocks, of course. Well, thank you so much, Marcus. I look forward to hearing more about this in the short and long term from you as you continue to track its development. Um, And really appreciate Appreciate you coming on board. Thank you so much, Emma. For more geopolitical and economic analyses like this, subscribe to our geopolitical intelligence product, Rain Worldview. Our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes. Sign up at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.